0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod.
1: And I'm Zach Dosh reporting in uh, from parts unknown somewhere in rural North Dakota. And you can follow me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh.
2: I'm Greg Steeman. I am at Greg Steeman on Twitter and uh, guys, I can't wait for the last two weekends.
1: It's heating up, man. It's heating up.
0: Yeah, it's going to get just better. This weekend was great. And it, you can tell, I mean, and I kind of want to start with that. Actually, Greg, let's just talk about the standings. The top four teams are separated by basically a game uh, going into the last two weekends, five through seven are separated by basically a game and then you've got 8-9 and nine, uh, by a game with one, one team in Omaha with no wins yet and, and Denver with one. And next week we've got Oral Roberts traveling to South Dakota and South Dakota State traveling to North Dakota State. What are you guys looking forward to in these next two weekends of basketball?
2: Well, I'll just jump in. Bottom line, it comes down to Denver and Omaha are fighting for the 8th seed. That's really where we're at. Denver and Omaha are fighting for the eighth seed. Yeah, Western, North Dakota, and, and, and Kansas City, um, you know, North Dakota and Kansas City, both at 500 in the league, which as Zach has alluded to on Twitter lately, it's all about winning percentage. It has nothing to do with, you know, with records other than the winning percentage. And then you're looking at, uh, you know, the top four, Oral Roberts, uh, a game out of the, the action. And then North Dakota State, USD and South, South Dakota State all tied for
1: first with two right.
2: weekends to play, and they're all battling each other. Um, you couldn't ask for anything better. And in this year of COVID, um, as much as we hate COVID, how amazing has it played out for the Summit League to not only watch the last two weekends play out, but then head into the Summit the, the Summit League tournament. It's going to be fantastic to watch.
1: Yeah, knowing what we know now, could you put the schedule together any better? I mean, what more could you ask for than the top being decided, the bottom being decided, so much intrigue. It's just incredible right now. And, you know, the conference, I'll be honest with you guys, normally I look at the standings and, yeah, I mean, we do a little bit on the, you know, in the intro to a game and stuff like that, but I usually don't put too much into the standings because, you know, it's all going to come out in the wash in the conference tournament anyway, right? But it's really kind of interesting to see. I mean, we've talked about the tiers all year and which which teams fall into which tiers. But clearly, so the top four teams have a winning percentage over fall 70. And and like Greg said, it's all about winning percentage. And then the middle three have between like a 40 to 50% winning percentage. And then then it's the bottom two battling it out. And uh, like Greg said, the bottom two is basically a play-in game. It's basically... Next or the, the last weekend is essentially the start of the of the conference tournament for Omaha and Denver to see which one makes it in. and Greg and I were trying to talk about this. I, I think the same thing happened last year with Western Illinois and and Denver, and Denver being in last place the whole year and then won two games I think right at the end of the year, last week of the year, and then uh, made it in the conference tournament and then gave a little scare into the top seed. So. So much to be decided, you know, we've played this much of the season, and honestly, I can't make heads or tails of who would be the on-zone favorite.
0: Well, he, right. I, we we do our power rankings each week, and I was sitting down thinking about that today, and I thought, who in the world do you put in in first through fourth? And I think an argument could honestly be made for all four of those teams in whatever order you wanted to put them in. It, and certainly Oral Roberts is a game behind, But at the same time, they just split against North Dakota State and South Dakota State. So I I can't even argue against somebody arguing that they should be first and certainly can't argue with any of the other three teams either. It's going to make for a fantastic Summit League tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, standings are pretty black and white. But when you talk talk about power rankings, usually we should be able to say, okay, yeah, I mean, this team's maybe in second or third in the standings, but they're really playing the best. They're on a three-game winning streak or something like that. We can't even say that. You know, literally, I mean, it's about as even in the power rankings as it is in the standings. Really interesting to see.
2: Yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head. I look at the standings, and when you look at the top four, here are the streaks. Oral Roberts has lost one in a row. North Dakota State's lost one in a row. USD's lost three in a row. And South Dakota State has won one. And, And the hot teams are all in the bottom. Kansas right. City's one three, well, North Dakota's one two, and West Illinois one five in a
1: row. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I, you couldn't ask for anything better heading into the last two weekends. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was really standing out to me is, okay, yeah, we have this top tier and they've kind of separated themselves, but just like you said, Greg, look at these teams in the middle. Does anybody really want to play Kansas City? Like, again, we've said, I mean, you may beat them, but you're going to have an awful time. You know, it's not going to be fun. Uh, Unds beat the top three teams in the conference, and now they beat South Dakota three times this year. And 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 so who, who am I missing? Oh, the 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 team with the longest winning streak in the conference, Western Illinois. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, everybody's a little insecure right now heading into the tournament. Maybe these last two weeks do a good job of shoring things up, but I doubt it.
2: Uh, well, I agree, Zach. And the last thing I'll just throw in here: I was really impressed with North Dakota's defensive effort against USD this last weekend and that home sweep. I'm watching it and I, and I tweeted it out, but that that's what it takes to win in the postseason and that's also what it takes to bring a team together. And uh, North Dakota to Paul Sather's credit is really really defending well and if Zach, if you want to comment on that, that's great or or, or, or Todd you can as well. But uh, that's that's really what what got them the the Two game sweep at home over USD.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, Greg. I think you can you can speak to this too. But you know, we as color commentator guys, obviously, we we have no horse in the race, and it's not like we like seeing a, a team, a certain team win over others. What we want to see is good basketball. That's what we're fans of. We're fans of teams getting better. We're team. We're fans of teams playing well, and that's all UND right now. I mean it's probably fair to say that they're punching above their weight class right now. I mean, you look at their team, do you see any particularly good individual defenders or individual offensive players? Probably not, but they're scoring in the eighties and they're doing one heck of a job on defense, despite knowing great individual parts. I mean, they're the epitome of a team and that's just really satisfying to see come together. To see where they were a month ago to where they are now, I'd argue that no team's on a on a, a, a more vertical trajectory than they are. And really, that's what it's about. I mean, yeah, we talk about the standings, but honestly, the games in January do not matter anymore. Um, and the, the games, <laughs> certainly back in December and November, certainly don't matter. Um, and and UND is just... just Playing this brand of basketball that's really tough to beat—they're not going to beat themselves—and it was just really satisfying to, to watch them play at that level this weekend. It was a treat. It was honestly—it was, it was a blast to call those games because, like I said, South Dakota didn't even necessarily play bad. I mean, AJ Plitzelwhite was unbelievable when he gets in attack mode, and when his back's against the wall and he comes out swinging—unbelievable. Just a really high level of basketball up in Ground Forks this weekend.
2: It it really was, and, and I think I'll just wind this segment of the, of the podcast up with this. I'm amazed, and well, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm locking you guys out of comment. Uh, Bentu Pinoam, I, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted by this young man. He's in his fourth year, right? Really, never produced at all. The kid is playing at an elite level, both ends of the floor. What a credit to Paul there to, to to find a way to have him in the lineup and see what he can bring and bring Nero off the bench. I, it's 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 enjoyable to watch. But I'll just go back to you. the defensive effort for UND it was fantastic. Pinoam, you have to I, have, I just give him so much credit for his development and his patience over the course of his career to say, you know what? I know it's going to happen at the right time. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep doing my job. And wow, has it ever paid off uh, during this you know recent stretch for UND?
1: Yeah, I think I said on air tonight, but like, like, literally every every college freshman should be forced to study Bentu Pinoam's career and yes. how to handle yourself and how to handle adversity. I mean, the guy goes through coaching changes and – they're trying to recruit over him every single year, and he's never really given a shot. And Tyree Ianacho hits campus as a true freshman on day one. He's ahead of him on the depth chart. And none of this stuff, I mean, it would bother every. I highly doubt I'd handle it that well when I was playing. Matter of fact, I know I probably wouldn't. And none of that mattered. Benju didn't blame anybody. He just kept playing. And he was there for his teammates, was an amazing scout squad player, they threw him in the game and he's never looked back over 20 points both games this weekend. And and it's not just the it's not just what happens to the box score. I mean, he's he's turning out to be the heart and soul of this team because everybody loves him and have so has so much respect for him. I mean, Coach Seda was almost getting emotional talking about him after the game. It was really just amazing to see. This is why college sports is so fun. This is why it's so fun.
0: Well, and Zach, one of the things that I said on Twitter I think one of the most underrated aspects of sports in general is confidence. And you just watch his confidence grow day in and day out. He caught the ball. I mean, you were there. You saw this. He caught the ball in the perimeter and saw that Amude was on him and knew he could take him off the dribble and immediately did use the basket as a defender, went to the other side and put in a layup. There's no way he would have done that a month ago or six weeks ago. And Two so weeks it's too, ago,
1: yeah.
0: Right? So, I mean, he just, he's, He's like, this is my weekend, and and to watch that happen, it, it it's amazing to to just watch the the confidence of somebody grow, and then they just again I don't know what he's shooting from the three point line in the last four games or so, but it's got to be near fifty percent. He just yeah. every he's everything he's putting up he thinks is going in, and it makes such a difference for a player.
1: And this is why navigating this conference schedule is so tricky for these head coaches, because just because you're playing good at one point doesn't mean you're going to play well when it matters the most, which is February going into March. Now, if you're coach Lee, you're like, man, I thought, I, I thought I was feeling good about this situation and they should have, they came off a fantastic performance, particularly on Friday night against South Dakota state. They're on top of the conference feeling good. Now they drop two against a team below them in the standings. And, they can't feel sorry for themselves because they're rolling it right into the next weekend with Oral Roberts and NDSU. And so South Dakota now better be careful because they can't let these two losses turn into four or six.
0: Right. Well, and a, another amazing part, I, I think it's just, might as well just talk this matchup because we we've gotten into it enough. Another interesting part is they're one of the better perimeter defending teams in the conference. And I don't know that anyone would have said a, Weeks ago, that a team that was really gonna do a good job beating them off the dribble would be North Dakota, and they beat them off the dribble all game, both games, and it opened up things other places. I mean, to watch, if, if we were to have said that North Dakota was gonna sweep out, I said Ribbott is gonna have thirty points a game then, and he averaged maybe fifteen over the two two game stretch. So it was the 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 guys that you don't always mention uh, that. Did the work for North Dakota. Not that R- Rubaracha did his work too, but it it was they couldn't stop him.
1: I mean, to, so... to, to to see to to see South Dakota shut down the law firm down at in Brookings, and then go up to Grand Forks and have those four guards really put in great work against them. I don't know, guys. I can't figure it out.
2: No, it's it's a, that's that's a great point, Zach. I, and I just as I'm watching it, I, I'm thinking, prior to the weekend, I'm going, what gives USD a great chance to go into Grand Forks and win one, if not two games, is the way they were defending, right? And all of a sudden, UND turns the tables on USD and says, um, you know what, we're going to defend. We're going to sit down, and we're going to make things difficult on you. I know A.J. Plitzwhite went off late on Friday, almost brought him back, and, and has the ability to go on those runs. But I just give a ton of credit to UND and, and Paul Sather and his staff for how he's brought his guys together. Not only has you know, Bentu you know done great offensively, but the way he's got his guys locked in on the defensive end, that's impressive. And that's what gives you a chance for postseason success. They've got, I know they have the, the, the last weekend is a bye weekend for UND, so they just have the, the this next weekend with two more games. I have to believe Paul Sazer and his staff probably feel fairly good about how their group is developing more so on the defensive end than anything else. They, they'll, they'll figure out something offensively, but defensively, if you can guard, and, and make things difficult in a low-possession game, which is what most postseason contests are, Paul Saban getting his guys ready for that conference tournament and their performance is showing that.
1: You know, and, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, but maybe we shouldn't be so surprised we're seeing this because this is essentially what UND did last year. Like, if you remember, they kind of started off in a couple of weekends, much like the beginning of this year. It's like, oh, boy, you know, um... I don't know. Maybe they don't have the players to make it to 70 points a game. I don't know. You know, boy, you got a lot of question marks out there. <clears throat> and then February rolls around and Marlon Stewart starts to get cooking. This year it's been to Panoam again. Who would have thought? But they start, like, the way that they build to the conference tournament is really second to none. And he did this at Northern State as well. There's something to the way that they build their team up as they go so they don't peak too early and they keep getting better and better, and then right when it matters the most, they're playing their best. They did this exact same thing last year, and uh, it, it's it's we, we probably shouldn't be as surprised as we are right now.
0: Well, and I just want to mention one other player, especially today, Mitchell Sucker, if he can shoot from the outside, that makes UND an even more dangerous team.
1: And uh, it, it makes sense because then he can play with Phil Robacha more. Like I, right. think wa- I think they I think they want to play those two together. I think UND uh, is a very uh, mediocre rebounding team. I mean, they're 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 getting our rebounded every single game, and if they can play Suker and Roracha together, that's obviously going to correct a lot of that rebounding margin. But the reason why that they really haven't is because Mitchell hasn't been making those threes. Like we all know he can, and if he's hitting those and he can play the four. That sort of unlocks a whole nother type of rotation for this UND team that they can go to now that they haven't been able to go to all year, really.
0: All right, let's move on to the South Dakota State Oral Roberts series. Oral Roberts won Game One pretty comfortably. It ended up being a little bit closer, and then South Dakota State uh, pulled away in the second half, Game Two. So, really, kind of mirror opposites the two games one team pulling away in the second half uh, both games the question I wanted to ask with that and then you guys can get into what you saw this weekend Uh, with wins over North Dakota State and South Dakota State have Oral Roberts shown us that they're better than the past Oral Roberts teams and and could do some real damage come summit tournament time
2: Uh, Todd I'll jump in Uh, I think ORU is is really good that they're exceptional. It's, it's unfortunate they've, that they've lost Glasper and and you were know, one of the first people on Twitter who alluded to that. that they weren't going to have him this weekend. But to have the dominant performance they had on Friday night or Saturday night, excuse me, against SDSU and, and win going away was impressive. You know, I think uh, no, S, uh, ORU belongs. ORU belongs in the top four. They're very, very capable I'll, I'll be the broken record. Can they defend well enough to, to win three games in the tournament? That has yet to be determined. South Dakota State, on the other hand, very intriguing to me. And I, I tweeted about it tonight. And I, it's, it's a tough deal from my standpoint that um, I think everybody saw the box score from Saturday when, when Friedell um, struggled in the first half, did not play in the second half, and then was in street clothes today. I'm not going to ignore that, um, but I'm not going to criticize anybody for it. I I, I believe Eric Henderson will work with Noah Friedel and get him to the point where uh, he's as productive as possible. But I I, I also don't believe that Eric Henderson will give him a a pass on anything. I think he's going to help him develop as a young man and as a a contributor to society in any way possible and and put – College basketball in the proper proper perspective, yeah. Um, I, I it, there's there are some struggles there. There are some things there that I honestly have no idea what they are, and I won't even claim to begin to understand what they might be. But I also believe that Noah Friedel couldn't be in better hands from a head coaching standpoint than Eric Henderson. I hope the young man, because to be honest with you guys, and, and I, I I doubt you would disagree with me he has probably as good a talent as anybody in this league, which is a really good level league, you know, when it comes to mid-major basketball. But that is so secondary to what it takes to be a a really, really good, productive, and positive, you know, contributor to society. And I think Eric Henderson's first and, and, and most foremost priority is to do that with his guys along with every other coach in the league. And so, um, I I guess I'm sorry to do a deep dive into it, Todd. I just, that's the primary thing for me this weekend is I'm concerned about him, but at the same time, if I'm concerned, concerned about a young man, I don't think that Eric Henderson could be possibly be a, you know, uh, that there could possibly be a better coach than Eric Henderson to handle the situation. So I hope it all works out for both entities. The team, South Dakota State, I'm really happy to see Dentlinger really getting back to his prior year's form over the last few weekends. And at the same time, I'm also happy to see that Eric Henderson is the guy in charge of having to handle the whole situation. Um, uh, Young man, uh, transfer from Nebraska, is really stepping into Prydale's minutes. But I think this SDSU team is still really something to be reckoned with.
0: I think
1: um, you know it's it's one of those things like we we have to we have to address this situation because it's one of the best players on one of the best teams, and it's clearly going to impact the postseason. Um, I'd rather not speculate on exactly what's going there. I mean, really, that's probably only between him and, and Coach Henderson. And but d- d- just to speak to like when a player starts going sideways in general, and I don't know if this situation is all that unique. We've seen different variations of this kind of happen throughout this league and in college basketball in general. And again, this isn't talking about this situation, but when a player just generally goes sideways, sometimes it, you know, when, when you remove them from the situation and they take a step back and they realize that like, look, life's going to go on without you, man. Yeah. and you're not irreplaceable, and it, it, it can be very eye-opening because up until that point, they have, they have felt irreplaceable, right? They, they're the man in high school. They got a college basketball scholarship. Everything in life is going well. They haven't really had a ton of, of uh, adversity in their lives on the basketball court. You know, it's been their sanctuary, and to see that being taken away from them, something that's so precious, it's usually a wake-up call and give a lot of credit to these coaches for doing that and taking them off the floor. And again, this isn't about this situation because we've seen similar, uh, similar situations happen throughout the conference, but taking your, your better players off the floor and then putting your team first and how your team responds to that. We've seen a lot of teams respond very well to that. And particularly South Dakota state responded well tonight. There's other ways to win games and that's okay. Okay. And uh, because the team always comes before talent. And, you know, whether it's UND winning with, you know, players that are, are are pretty good, but they may be outmanned against some teams or what have you, this is big picture stuff. This is why college basketball is so important. It's the education for the rest of these guys' lives.
0: Well, and just to add on to your point, Greg, it, from, at least from the broadcast, the Oral Roberts broadcast, It was a coach's decision and why I just can't echo enough that coach Henderson's the right person. This was a really big game and he's a really good player. And yet that the decision was made um, for, for him to sit this game and the team responded and it, it just, I'll echo what you said as well like my the best thing that can happen is it's it's a bit of a wake up call if you want to use that terminology and and the and the player realizes it's them that needs to make some changes and then everybody moves on and and we're not talking about this much anymore I I I just really I appreciate the the effort by his teammates today and and even the decision which isn't an easy one especially if they came up short today
2: well, I agree with you, Todd, and I think that's, that's really what it's about because not only does Coach Henderson care about this young man, his teammates love this yep. guy. They, they, they all are in this thing together, and, and they want um, everybody to grow throughout this process, and, and what it does is it, sometimes it opens, opens up opportunities, and easily mm-hmm. the young man we talked about really stepped into a role Shireman and Arians, who have been so good. Dettlinger, who's really all of a sudden starting to say, hey, don't forget about me. I am the I am the all-league guy that I was last year. Uh, even though his numbers didn't show it early, he's starting to show that late. South Dakota State is still an absolute force to be reckoned with in this league. And there's a reason they're tied, winning percentage-wise, with the top teams in the league. And so, with all that being said, uh, South Dakota state has things to work through Eric Anderson is the right guy to help his group his staff and his, his his teammates you know I mean his team members work through all this they're gonna be they're gonna be they're gonna be in the conversation when it comes to who goes to the the big dance in Indianapolis at the same yeah. time let's go back to Saturday night when max Asmith goes off for 42 <laughs> points the guy oh. is amazing and they and they, and they did put a beat down on SDSU on Saturday night, to their credit. Uh, he and O'Banner were fantastic. The complimentary players were great with, without, with uh, without Glass for being part of the conversation. So that was a big win for ORU. ORU has shown their mettle. They've beaten the top teams head to head, not necessarily sweeping, but shown they belong in this conversation. And that's why they're solidly in the top four in the Summer League right now.
0: Right. You know, the,
1: I, I think the thing that's so fun for me to watch Max Acemas is, like, he's not the most physically gifted player, right? I mean, you look at the other players that are scoring about as much as he, whether it's Stanley Amude or Kevin O'Banner, like, those guys are physically built differently than a lot of the guys in the conference. Not Max Acemas, you know, like, he like if you were to play a pickup game and just walk into the, into the gym, you're probably not picking him first and then you're going to probably lose that game. And uh, it's just so fun to watch him play. You're right, Greg. Oral Roberts has their identity. They are who they are, and that's what's fun about this league right now is you have a lot of different personalities and identities out there, a lot of different styles of play. Oral Roberts has theirs. They have the ultimate puncher's chance in any single game in max ace miss. Sometimes that comes to the detriment of the other players on the team, particularly Kevin O'Banner. But that's who they are, and they're going to win a lot of games that way, and they can beat anybody that way. So they're yep. sticking to it, and they're just trying to find the best version of themselves.
0: Well, and you kind of mentioned it, Zach. It, the one of the things that did drive me nuts in Game Two, Kevin O'Banner, six shots, and we've talked about this, especially in past years. It, sometimes that's due to his own passive nature. It, that, but there were two possessions where he Matt, Matt Mims got switched on him, and there was a uh, Carlos Jurgens three and a Francis Latzs three. It's like, get the ball to, to, to your, if not your best player, your second best player, when he's got a guy seven inches shorter than him defending him like that. Sometimes Oral Roberts, what makes them good also makes them not good.
1: Yeah. I always, I always kind of feel a little torn in these situations because sometimes you know, whether it's Stanley Amude or it's Kevin O'Banner, when the best players on a team go four five six seven possessions without a touch it's like what am I missing you know who what coach is that Mike Tice, I believe right uh, Mike Tice screwed up a lot um, wasn't the smartest coach but I believe he's the one that came up with the Randy ratio right so in he other was. words in other words it was like what it was it like every five possessions the ball needs to go to Randy anytime in five possessions even if it's to force feed him you can go wrong a lot of ways on offense. There are worse things to do than to force-feed the ball to your best player. And that's not saying that they have to shoot it. Just let them make a decision. Let them draw the double, what have you. Don't forget about them, though. Don't take them out of the game. Hey, you know, what was that old Dean Smith, or the, the quote about Dean Smith, is he was the only one that could hold Jordan under 20 points in college. And so I don't know right. exactly what's going on there. I, I just think it's a great idea to give Kevin O'Banner and Stanley Amude the ball. But um, it's interesting – you know, but what are you going to do if Max Asemus is going off? You know, what are you you're not going to take the ball out of his hands? So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting, interesting to see how all this comes together.
2: Well, you you guys really bring up great points, and, and it's it's a tough deal as a coach when you sit there and and, and you watch a guy like Asemus uh, control the game at times, and at the same time, when you look at O'Banner, who's this? Uh, unicorn in the Summit League, I, and and that's not taking anything away from other great players like a Cruiser or a or a Wilson or uh, or or numerous other guys or or an Amude, O'Banner. I'm sorry, this guy is an NBA body, and it's just hard sometimes to when you look at it and go, well, or are you lost by? Fifteen and O'Banner had six shot attempts. You know how much of that goes on coaching, but how much of that goes on personality and aggressiveness and a demeanor that says I demand touches. Uh, There's a there's a delicate balance between those things, and I think that's the the biggest challenge. You know, for a guy like Paul Mills, is to say, how do we do this in the most effective manner? Because if you want to win postseason games, yes, you have to defend in the half court. Yes, you have to you have to rebound the heck out of it. And at the same time, offensively, you have to make great decisions. It's hard for me to imagine, as a coach, if I've got a no banner on my team, how I don't get him ten to twelve field goal attempts per game. And that's that's just me speaking. So um, it's intriguing, and I'm sure it'll be it, it'll, it'll it will probably be intriguing to us throughout the course of not only the remainder of the conference season, but also the conference tournament.
1: The one thing I'll say in defense of these coaches is that particularly compared to high school, there's not a lot of the game that's actually scripted out. Like every now and then there'll be a set play, but particularly programs like Oral Roberts, there's not. They just rely on their players being aggressive and making the right reads. And so, you know, it's probably a little bit more on Kevin O'Banner's teammates than it is even Coach Mills, because it's just like, all right, you're out there with them he can't throw himself the ball, throw him the dang ball, you know? Um, But we don't know exactly what's going on, you know, again, so I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but you're right, Greg, lose by 15 and he gets six shots. You know, it just doesn't add up to me.
0: Well, and of course it's easier to see on the television feed that he's got the switch to a, to a guard on him. It just is so hard to watch when, like I said, he's got a guy five, six inches shorter than him and, and, you've got guys putting up contested threes uh, and not getting them the touch to open up at least the three point shot for them. But yeah, it's all, everything's happening so fast there too. So it's really easy to say from the sidelines. So let's move on to the next matchup. Actually one other player I want to mention just cause I think he deserves some mentioning Sheldon Stevens with 16 points in game one really lifted the team and he's uh, seldom used guard. Uh, Only played seven minutes in game two, uh, but really had a great game in game one that really lifted uh, Oral Roberts. I just wanted to mention him as well. So on to Western Illinois and Denver. On to the hottest team in the Summit League, Western Illinois, after not having any Summit League wins, has won five straight. Do you guys think they could upset someone in the Summit League tournament? Uh, Zach, if you want to start, that'd be great.
1: I mean, I think they do because you know what's spurring this on is they seem to have found the first couple of games. It was just like a like a an extended trial for a lot of these players. Now looks like they've kind of got their rotation started to get a little healthier. Will is really emerging. is doing really. I think yes because they have a better direction a better idea of what direction they're going. Before they were going in all different kinds of directions. Now at least they're all going in the same direction.
2: Yeah, um, I agree, Zach. And I think, you know, credit to Rob Jeter. I mean, yeah, he did a a ton of experiments throughout the preseason, the early conference season. He settled on things. Karius is carrying them right now. Um, His performance over the, the last three or four weekends has been impressive. And you can't argue with their, their win, you know, five wins in a row. Is it against the bottom of the league? Yes, it is. But it's also a credit to the fact that they're finding ways to put themselves in a position. So if anything tells us that people should fear Western Illinois in the first round of the conference tournament, just look back at the last three years of the first round. You know, when you look at SDSU and the battles that they fought, uh, when you look at NDSU and, and the battle they had with Denver as the eight seed next, you know, last season, it's it, there are teams that come into this tournament with nothing to lose. And the first round of the conference tournament is the most tense, the most concerning, the most, you know, uh, you know tension filled game. Because it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, we can't lose to these guys. And at the same time, this group comes in with nothing to lose. So without question, Western Illinois is building momentum. Uh, Coach Jeter is, is building a, a consistency with his lineup. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's gonna, there's going to be some sleepless nights for those top four seeds, you know, when it comes to Summit, Summit League uh, tournament action. It's going to be great to watch it all play out.
1: And the more I've well, watched Western Illinois, the, the, the more I came to appreciate Coach Jeter and what he's doing, you know, and, and Greg, you may be able to speak to this, but like, I'm guessing, you know, when you get hired as a head coach and you're taking over programming, you're turning over the roster, you're kind of feeling this like sense of urgency. Hey, we want to get established as soon as possible here. And we really want to win a couple games, right? We want to validate ourselves and we really want to get going. And that that may cause a coach to lock in his lineup a little early and kind of forego experimenting with different lineups. Because experimenting with different lineups, it may have cost him a game or two early on. But what it did is it raised the ceiling of his program. I mean, he's saying, hey, I don't want to just win a couple regular season games. I want to find the right combination that, that could maybe win a couple games in March. That's what he's saying. At the sacrifice of winning a couple of games early, And he probably doesn't get to this lineup. He probably doesn't find Colton Sandage as a point guard. That's not a revelation if he locks in his lineup too early. And so the way he's handled this whole situation with his roster and no postseason and experimenting with lineups, it's been masterful in my opinion. It's been very, very good.
2: Yeah, Zach, you make some great points. And it's interesting if you follow a a run of, maybe a lack of success like Western Illinois has, you probably have a little more latitude to experiment. And if you follow some really good coaches, like I was stupid enough to do in my career, you feel like you don't have near as much latitude. And and so all of a sudden when you struggle, you're going, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong? But I think Coach Jeter has this, handled this masterfully. And he is ta- taking full advantage of the schedule and how it presented itself. Yes. They knew they were playing some, some high level teams early on. And at the same time, he kind of stuck to, all right, you know, my, my science experiment of finding the right guys, the right combinations. He settled on a group that he has some confidence in. And it's hard to argue with a five game winning streak in the summit league, regardless of who they're playing.
0: Well, and Greg, to your point, coach Jeter followed a, uh, Bruce Pearl at Milwaukee after Milwaukee had went to the sweet 16 and, and kind of ran into that, you know, they'd finish, they, they went to the tournament at least once at Milwaukee, but then they'd finish it kind of third, fourth, fifth, and the expectations were super high. And now he went to a Western Illinois team. That was a completely different roster. And, you know, the five summit league wins are pretty celebrated. So just interesting how life plays out for coaches and and him. I talked about that a little bit when I interviewed him at the beginning of the season. Uh, So a really interesting that you brought that up because it, he has had both experiences and now it'd be interesting to ask him which one is more fun, (laughs) but, uh, and Zach, you had brought up Will Carius. I just wanted to mention it's been uh, seven straight games that he's scored 20 plus points so one of the things that has really went in Western Illinois' favor is Karius is, is becoming a star uh, in the Summit League. And uh, he Scott Holland, who does some writing for our website and also for the McDonough Voice, interviewed Karius. And he's open to possibly coming back next year. And as a selfish Summit League fan, I hope he does, because it's been fun to watch him really take that role and become kind of a star in their offensive system. Uh, Did want to mention one other player on the Denver side, Kobe lamb who hadn't played much this season played 35 minutes this weekend and took 24 shots. Um, so kind of the anti Kevin O'Banner. Um, yeah, but just, just an interesting odd stat and Denver will be, uh, it's feels like Denver and Omaha will be facing off that last weekend. And for what will be a ticket to the tournament type series, uh, And so Denver kind of on the other end of it, where they won three games at the end of last year to make the tournament. They may be fighting to make the tournament as the eight to hang on against uh, Omaha at the end of the season. Yeah,
1: that's that's really the beauty of the whole situation, right? I mean, you could have pretty much a disastrous month or two, and if you do figure things out, and if they do get a couple things ironed out, you know, in a one-game scenario... Who knows, man? Who knows? Just find a way to get in the tournament then who knows?
2: Well, and, and, you know, Zach, you mentioned that and, and, and Todd, thanks for bringing that up. I, I, I think we it's clearly at this point where it's going to be Denver uh, or Omaha, you know, who finds a way to make it into the Converse tournament. And you also mentioned something, you know, this week in our discussions about, You know, when we eventually get to ten teams, how do you best determine who makes the conference tournament? Well, go back to the fact that, hey, we all love, you know, Omaha and Denver are fighting this out. This their conference tournament is is now. Yeah. Because they have to find a way to to get to that eight seed. You know, when we get to ten teams, how do you best determine it? And I think everybody agrees. The, you know, the top teams should be rewarded. In the Summit League, the way that the, the format has always played out, the one and two seed have always had an extra day of rest. And for the most part, that's been beneficial. The exception was NDSU a couple of years ago when they found a way to get the NCAA tournament as a three or four seed. I don't remember exactly, but it was it was not a top two seed. But I think if, if you can find a way to include all 10 teams in the Converse Tournament, Still, give those top two teams that advantage of having an extra day of rest if they win against a you know a seven, eight, nine, or ten you know in the quarterfinal round. I think that 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 has value. So um, I'll, I'll go back to this. Yep, Denver and Omaha are battling it out. Darren Hansen This is an un- this is unfamiliar territory for Darren Hansen and his group. He's got some talent. He lost some really experienced guard play last year. We've alluded to this in numerous previous podcasts, but um, he still has an opportunity. And and he's also shown that if he can get to that eight seed, everybody knows if he gets to that eight seed in the conference tournament, it's a scary position to be in the one seed on that first, you know, that, that first quarter final, because all the pressure is on the number one seed in the eight seed can let it fly. So, uh, whether it's Omaha or whether it's Denver who goes on a run it'll be interesting interesting to see how it plays out so it's it, you know I'll to so that 10 team tournament format I st- I'm still a believer in playing it out have the play in games give the top two seeds an extra day of rest if they win their quarterfinal matchups and let the whole thing play out and see how it all, see how it all see how it all goes
1: yeah certainly two different kind of two different options in my mind, two main options, which would be, you know, Greg yours, where, you know, maybe we look at the top two seeds getting a buy. I think that would be important. You know, you definitely want to reward them in some way. You know, the other, the other way is just to keep it at eight teams, keep it at eight teams and add a little bit more spice to the regular season because part of me thinks that like, if all 10 teams make it, then, and the conference tournament is played on a neutral court, does seating really matter? I mean, yeah, you want to win games because you want to build and progress and get better. But in some ways, t- sending all 10 teams there it kind of, I don't know, it doesn't add enough to the regular season for me. Um, I don't know, Maybe it's maybe instead of the top two teams getting – a buy, it's like the top four or, or six, or, and, and then you make like the bottom four play an extra game, sort of like a play-in game, um, something like that. But then on the other hand, you could just say, well, guess what? The last weekend of the year, that's our play-in game. So I don't know. Kind of talking myself in circles here. There's definitely pros and cons to either one of them. Um, but, man, it's going to be great to get to an even number. Hopefully we get a little bit more rhythm like we have this year to the schedule.
0: Well, and as you guys are talking, I I did a Twitter poll and here were the three options. Zach, you had just mentioned the bottom four play and then the winners of that game make the eight, those two games make an eight team uh, tournament. And I would say those four, those games are played at the tournament site, probably on Friday. The second option was bottom two, just don't make it. and We play eight teams. And then the last option was the top two basically get a double buy into the semifinals And Uh as we're talking ourselves in circles, so is Twitter. It's that there's been 104 votes so far. 37% leading is the bottom four play to get to the eight. And then it's within 5% of that. Uh My personal favorite would be the top two seeds get the double bye to the semifinals. They did that in the Horizon League and and some didn't like it. They thought it got the teams to almost too much time off. But I like the idea of the top two getting quite an advantage, uh, and but then the other side of that coin is they're they're not playing for those first two rounds, the and then it also comes down to do you really want South Dakota State if they were a one or two seed do you really want them not playing for the first two days, on one of the tournaments that is the one of the best attended mid major tournaments in the in the country, so there's a lot of. I I think any option isn't a bad option. It's why I kind of wanted to bring it up here. I I think it's really interesting. And it'd be interesting to see what the 10 coaches think is the best option.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm almost kind of talking myself into that bottom four as sort of a play into the tournament. The more I'm kind of thinking about it, I mean, I, I can only imagine. But not making even the conference tournament, that has got to be brutal. I mean, to not even be a part of that at all, that's... That's got to be brutal. And, you know, there, there should be a punishment for, for finishing last, I suppose. Um, but if you're in the bottom four, to a large extent, you know, things have not gone your guys' way, and they're, nobody's blameless at those bottom four. And so maybe give them all a chance to kind of fight it out in a one-game scenario, make them play an extra game, and then get them into the tournament. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning more that way now.
2: Yeah, you guys make some great points my thought even when i was back in the days of when the northern sun went to 16 teams and when you look at this day and age i i love the the possibility aspect yeah. of the conference tournaments everybody literally everybody every team has a chance to get to that the big dance and if you can put a run together so I'm a believer in kind of the more traditional format of saying, you know what, do the pigtail games, you know, the, the, the 7-10, the 8-9, let them play it out. Those teams have to turn around on on one day of rest, and play the one or the two seed. And then the winner of those games has an opportunity for a day off. Typically the one or two seed will, will win those games where at the same time you've given the seven, the 10, the 8th, the nine, the chance to be in that March Madness where, you know what, let's pour it all into this. Let's see how far we can go. In my mind, that's what March Madness is all about, is giving every team an opportunity to say, you know what, regardless of what your regular season showed that you were capable of, all that matters is what's ahead of you and the opportunities that you're provided. And if you can put a run together, we've seen this. We've, we, we've seen – you know, UConn, for God's sakes, back in the day, you know, go Man. through, you know, have to win five games to win the Big East Conference tournament and then get to the, you know, the national tournament and excel there. That's what March Madness is all about. So part of me goes, I get given the one and two seeds an extra break, but I also say, let the whole thing play out and, and prove, you know, allow the one and two seeds to prove that they deserve the one and two seeds. By having to win their way through the conference tournament as well, you know, even with all the luxuries that they're afforded, whether it's, you know, no time, you know, whether it's have not having to play anybody before a playing game, whether it's next day extra day of rest, I just kind of like the traditional format and the way it plays out.
1: Boy, Greg, you know, it's, it's when, when you said sixteen-team conference tournament, I kind of had a little shudder go down my spine because you have zero options when you have sixteen teams. I mean, we, we feel fortunate because we can talk about all these options because they're at 10 and not 9, but 10 and not 14 or something like that. There's There are a lot of good scenarios where you can efficiently play a fun tournament when you have 10 teams. And like you were saying, Greg, part of the charm of college basketball are these Cinderella stories, is the finality of these tournaments. That's what college basketball is. So you've officially talked me into letting everybody <laughs> Letting everybody in the conference tournament play in those six and eights,
0: <laughs> those, those,
1: those bottom four, and then to having them turn around and play the top of the conference right after that, putting their backs to the wall, putting their backs against the wall a little bit, and let's just play it out. Let's have everybody meet in Sioux Falls and settle it out and have some fun.
0: Yeah, that's where I fall as well, gentlemen. Uh, to me, the thing that makes college basketball different than any other sport. Is that every? There's three seasons. There's the non-conference, there's conference, and there's the postseason. And typically, the everybody gets a chance in the postseason, which uh, we won't get Zach started on college football. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, funny, that's
1: That's that, it's funny, Todd. That's exactly where my mind was going. I'm like, man. <laughs> as as you're talking, I'm like, hey, this is great. This is the anti-college football playoff. This that's is cool. awesome. Let's let's just
0: get everybody there and play it out. <laughs> right. And and so that's why I go that option, either the, the first bottom four play in, or, or to me, I just like the fact that the one and two get even more of an incentive. And so I would play it out with everybody until you get to the semifinals and then put the one and two up against whoever's left. Uh, But certainly on either of those two options would be fine with me. I, and I don't know what you do with nine. I, they can't do anything, but, exclude the ninth team there's no great way to do that um, unless they have eight and nine play each other but that's luckily happening this year last week of the season and but to me as long as we're getting everybody involved I can live with whatever format there is
1: I mean what a what a great way to welcome St. Thomas to the conference I mean I actually they probably won't be postseason eligible, so I don't even think they'll play in the conference tournament next year would be my guess right so I, I don't uh, so see. that
0: typically they don't have the not eligible ones play do they
1: I probably not
0: yeah. no
2: no but at know. the same time the great thing about it is during the regular season they impact who makes the conference tournament and right. that allows them to have value right up until the last weekend they're playing and so uh, even though they won't be eligible for postseason you know through the course of their of their transition process they still have a great impact throughout the entire course of the regular season to determine who makes the conference tournament, who doesn't, things along those lines. So, uh, yeah, you guys are right. I, I, I'm just a big believer in let everybody have a chance at this. Let every team have a chance at this. And anybody who doesn't agree with it, go back and read the 1983 North Carolina State, you know, story right. of how they yep. got to where they got to, the hotels. People think, that you know, that the NCAA tournament today is what it was like you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, it's not even close. And, and it's all it, all it takes is a chance, an opportunity to get on a roll and, and to allow your guys to say, you know what? We're better than what we proved during the regular season. Let's go show it in the, in the postseason. And it's amazing what some teams have been able to do.
1: You know, if it, the way I look at it, okay, worst case scenario, it's more basketball. If you don't like that, guess what? You're in the wrong sport. Go home. If you don't like having fun, go home.
0: Well, and it turns the Summit League tournament into a Friday to Tuesday event or whatever, you know, however the days shake out, Friday to Monday. But it just adds a day. And I, for one, would love to go for that first day when the first four teams play and make a whole weekend out of it. So.
2: Hey, you and a lot of Sioux Falls residents and a lot of people in the region will do it. It's amazing the high quality of, uh, of college basketball fans that exist in this region. They love it. And if they could have an extra day on Friday, they would be all in. No question. As would the community of Sioux Falls.
1: Yeah, the only thing better than college basketball is more college basketball.
0: Exactly.
1: Let's, let's make it a double E-limb. How about that? Put an option D. Let's make it a double or triple E-limb. Just pull nope. it up for a month and just play it out.
0: That would get some news.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we didn't talk, we're, we're running out of time this week. I We didn't talk Omaha, Omaha and Kansas City in too much length. Uh, Kansas City did win uh, both games. And I just want to ask the question to you guys, and then we'll wrap up with this question. How would you like to be a two or three seed that plays Kansas City in the first round of the uh, Summit League tournament?
2: Oh, I'll answer nice. first. I'll answer first. Sorry, Zach. I interrupted you rudely. I would hate <laughs> it. I would absolutely hate it because they are going to come and just get after you. And so I'm going to leave it at that. I apologize again, Zach, but I would hate it.
1: No, it's, it's, uh, it, you're, you're 100% correct. You know, that's sort of been the running joke with Kansas City all year. And it's like one of the highest compliments you can pay them. You know, you may beat them. You're going to have an awful time, and you're going to end up in the ice. You're going to end up taking an ice bath, and you're going to be in for a dogfight. Nobody wants that, especially when you know that you're going to have a couple of extra games after that game. So, nobody's going to be happy about the fact that Kansas City is on their schedule.
0: Right. Yeah. That I have the same answer. I just I would almost be watching the standings to make sure I didn't have to play them first game. Um, than than anything else. It's just, it's such a dogfight. And I did want to mention one player from Omaha, Matt Pyle with 16 points, 14 rebounds and four blocks. What we would maybe consider a Matt Pyle game of old Uh, just want to mention him because he's had such a fantastic summit league career and it's getting lost a little bit in this, this really rough last season in the summit league uh, well, I guess it doesn't have to be this year, but this season for Omaha has been so rough pile, not, not having the same season and just not getting the recognition, uh, want to make sure he's recognized still does the things that he does well. Um, and, and had a really good game one, uh, for Omaha against Kansas city.
1: Well, his situation will be interesting. You're a hundred percent right in that. He's had one of the greatest careers in the history of this, this conference really, I mean, statistically, he's going to be right up there with a the number of people, um, but we also know that he's a very smart kid and he's not done with school. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know what he had plans for. I mean, he clearly had plans for after college, but I don't know if that's at Omaha. But my guess is, whatever it is, they're trying to establish that major at Omaha right now so they can keep him along for another year.
0: <laughs> Build a whole department to keep yes, him so there.
1: Open a medical school just for Matt Pyle.
0: Right.
2: Well, uh, and I'm just going to jump in quick because we need to get done here. I, you know, thanks for bringing it up Todd and, and Zach, you make great comments. Matt Pyle has had a fantastic career. What he's done uh, the young man has been a force in this league on so many different levels and 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 really set a standard in a lot of ways and And you go back to, as you talked about Zach and I know Todd, you've alluded to his his medical career, you know what he wants to be. He's used basketball to help him get to that point. And you know what? The guy did not cheat the game of basketball. He has not cheated the game. He has played it the right way. He's competed. He's impacted his team in so many positive ways and helped them you know, to the point of literally being in that conference championship game and, and battling for an NCAA tournament berth. So kudos to Matt Pyle. And, and, and I, I have no doubt. He's going to finish his career uh, with the same zest that he's played, you know, his career throughout and and battling and competing and doing everything he can to help his team be successful. And if he can get them to the conference tournament as the eighth seed, good Lord, I'd be scared as the one seed because you never know what that team is going to be capable of doing. So uh, thanks for bringing it up, Todd. I appreciate it. Matt Pyle, just an absolute class act in the Summit League.
1: yeah some of these kids you're concerned about what they get into after college after they leave the structure of college not him he's going to be a success in life no matter what he does
0: yeah and you know what i think we'll end on that note uh i had a lot of fun this week gentlemen and i look forward to talking to you next week
1: absolutely thanks todd you bet you guys have a great week hey we got two great weekends ahead of us i can't wait to talk next week It only gets better.